0: Let's get started. We are, have started the series in 2 Peter, where we're looking at this uh, kind of farewell letter that Peter wrote to uh, the churches that he was influencing at the time. Uh, but it's right before he's getting ready to be executed by the Romans. He's in Rome in prison at the time. Uh, and uh, you know he, his execution date is coming. Uh, he, he mentioned last week in the passage that we read that he felt like the Lord had made it clear to him that no jailbreak was coming this time. Uh, that that his days were were definitely numbered, and so he's sending out these last words to the churches that he's been influencing. Try, you know, just trying to you know he's got some heavy stuff that he wants to get off his chest and make sure they're set up to continue on without him. And so, in, we're starting chapter two today of this letter, and this is where he really begins to get into the meat of what he wanted to say to this congregation, and it's about being on the guard and kind of warning them against some things that could really destroy their church if they're not careful. Who here could look back on your life and and recognize a time when uh, you had people in your life warning you about something you were doing or not doing, and, uh, and you ignored that warning only to look back on it and going, I really should have listened to those people in my life. Yeah, yeah. When I was uh, about 22, Jamie and I were very first married. We were living, I was in the Army, and we were living in the Washington, D.C. area in Arlington, and um, we lived in this little cottage. Uh, the church that we were going to was just a block or two outside of the gate of the, of the post that I was assigned to, and, uh, and they had said, hey, why don't you guys live in this little cottage that we have next door to the church, and, and we'll let you live there rent-free in exchange for you guys to clean the church and take care of the grounds and, and things like that. It's like, sweet. Like, my pay in the army doubled because I got married, and I didn't have to spend it on rent, which was awesome, right? And so we started doing that. And, and just a handful of weeks into our marriage, uh, one of the biggest blizzards in history hit the Washington, D.C. area, and snowstorms coming in, and, and, and so, you know, the news is talking up this big snowstorm. Um, and so I started to have phone calls uh, from some of, a lot of the older guys in the church saying, hey, Jeff, you really need to get out there and start shoveling snow, and I was, and at the time, there was only like half an inch on the ground, and I was like, yeah, I, I'll, I'll definitely get it shoveled, and they were like, yeah, but you need to go do it now, and I was like, well, it's not done snowing, and I don't want to, you know, I'll just do it all at once, and it'll be fine, and they were like, no, you don't understand. You need to get out there, and sho-. and so I'm like, my attitude was like I came from Oklahoma we have every type of weather and it changes every hour and and I mean high winds and tornadoes and blizzards and ice storms and all that. I mean I lived through all of that and I've dealt with snow before I know how to handle snow I know how to shovel snow and and so I'm like yeah yeah I know I know but when it, you know when it finally settles I'll get out there they were like, you really need to stay on top of it. Just keep shoveling it, you know, most of the night. And I was just, that didn't make any sense to me. I couldn't comprehend. And so I just told them, no, when it's done snowing, I'll get out and shovel the snow. Four feet of snow later, four feet of snow, right? I, I couldn't even, we couldn't even walk out our front door. There was so much snow. I'm looking down the sidewalk and the church parking lot is four feet of snow and I, it becomes keenly clear to me that I screwed up. Like, like I had warning after warning after warning, and I was like, nope, 22-year-old Jeff knows what's best, right? And, and I'll, just, I'll just handle this. And, and I was so wrong. And, and now those guys, they all showed up. God love them. They showed up. They were really gracious. Uh, now, they did say, I told you so multiple times, multiple times but they were really gracious to show up and actually help me uh, attack the snow and uh, you know it was but it was it was an enormous enormous blizzard we'd never seen anything like that before but i you know you, you sometimes you you know the world is full of people who send you warnings like that's what that's what the political climate is all about today you've got you've got people telling you if you know if if our country goes this way then this is what's going to happen you know we're all going to go to hell and all this kind of stuff and then you got people say no if our country goes this way this is what's going to happen it's all going to go to hell and you know and so it's all about the warning and right now we're locked into this i think in our country we're we're, we're almost locked into this kind of uh, boy who cried wolf mentality where we're we're just so overwhelmed by the warnings that it, they just don't phase us anymore and 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 we're beginning to just kind of ignore warnings or whatever. Or you're the guy who, who every time the boy cries, you're certain the wolf is there, right? Or you're that person. Um, but, but anyway, we live in this kind of culture of, of warning. And this is what I know is that what we need in our life when it comes to our faith and when it comes to our church, we need people uh, that, we, that have wisdom and that we trust that when they send up a, a flare, when they send up a warning, we know maybe we should listen to that. Maybe we should pay attention to that. And thank God, uh, you know, for a lot of us, we have those people in our lives and, and and we have several people like that that are really good. I think even in our church of just kind of reading the times and, and, uh, and offering wisdom that, that is in line with biblical truth and in line with the way that the Holy Spirit is leading and the way our culture is going and that sort of thing. But Peter he offers up a, a warning to this church in chapter two. Now, last week when, we, when, we, when, we ended up, when he ended up chapter one, the thing that he said was, <coughs> he was saying that everything was about Jesus and that all scripture had been pointing to Jesus. And he, he tells them, um, if you remember, like God sent us all these prophets he sent us all these great prophets who, and all of them were pointing to Jesus. And this was not a message that came from them. It was a message that came from God through them. Uh, and how blessed we were to have all those prophets that all pointed to Christ. And, 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 and so that we have this evidence that Jesus was who he said he was. Um, and so on the heel of him saying, thank God, God sent all those prophets, he starts off chapter 2 by saying this, verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people. Their destruction is not asleep. So the thing that is most on Peter's mind as he sends out this, this uh, kind of final message to the churches that he's been able to influence is, um, I really need you to be aware of false teachers. I need you to be aware of false teachers. False teachers were a, real, were, were a reality uh, for them that you know, as these churches were brand new and just starting, and this Christian faith was this kind of offshoot of Judaism that was that that was connected to the Jewish faith, but also very separate and very different um, and so there were there were teachers coming in from uh, the Jewish landscape, you know, going, yeah, Jesus is great, but you also have to be Jewish, and you also have to be circumcised, and you also have to follow Jewish law, and you have to, you know, all the the food laws and everything else. You also have to do all of that. And then there there were people who were coming in from the Greek world, saying, saying, you know, Jesus is, is great, but he's one of many gods. You know, we don't have to give up all our other gods just because we worship Jesus. Or when we worshiped our other gods, there was this weird, you know, uh, uh, sexual worship element to it. And we should do that in Jesus' church too. And so it was all this mixing and false teaching that was coming. Now, for us, when we look back on that, you know, 2,000 years removed, and sometimes it's hard for us to look at that and see that as relevant to us. And a lot of you probably think, do we really have an issue with false teachers? Like, are false teachers coming into our church and trying to, Lead us astray, and you know—is that really? Maybe you look this—you you, you uh, look at the issue of idolatry the same way, you know. And when you go back to a culture where they're worshiping statues and idols and multiple gods and things like that, and then now we're in you know 21st century California, going—is that really our issue? Does, do we really have to be aware of idolatry and? And the answer to both those questions, I think, is, is actually yes. In, in different ways, it looks different than it looks. It, it looked maybe back then, but the principle is still that there are things in our life that can rise up in our life and become idols. In other words, supplant Jesus as, uh, as Lord and King of our lives. There, those th- there are things that can rise up that would be idols in our life. There are um, uh, people who can come into our lives and into our churches that will show up as false teachers. If we're not careful, it looks a little different. Now, the, the core issues actually are very similar, very the same. It just—it's the dressing is a little different. The dressing is a little different. So, false teachers coming into the church today, they tend to be along the lines of—I was saying this last service. It's almost similar to the political spectrum. Uh, that we see in our in our world today, where in in the political life of America you have people on extremes, right you have people on on the far left or far right, or if that made you upset the far left or the far right right and so so what whatever so you have you have these people that um, you know everything is extreme and and so we have this nation that is very divided and i think I think for most of us uh, we tend to not. I think most people tend to not fall into those extremes. We fall somewhere into a logical middle, and 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 it's 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 like, you know, we may, we maybe can identify with one extreme or another a little bit more than the other, but we we tend to not go to the extremes that say uh, a news network, a 24-hour news network might take us, you know, that sort of thing, and so. So we don't feel oftentimes like there's anybody representing our voice of, call it reason, call it middle ground, call it whatever, in the conversation. And the same thing kind of happens in church, or is happening in church life, where you have these kind of extremes of potential false teaching that happens in church life. And so what it looks like in kind of modern church life is you have one extreme that is all about legalism. It's all about... um, um, it's not, you know, it's great that Jesus loves you and he died for you, but you got to get your life cleaned up. You got to do this and you got to do this and you got to do this. And, we, we, and so a lot of us feel this sense of, in fact, maybe many of you sitting here today, first time you came into uh, a church experience, you had this feeling of, I'd like to follow Jesus, but my life is too messy. I don't think I'm ready to... Like I got to get myself cleaned up and in a place where I can actually serve him before I can offer myself to him. And you had this mentality that if, if I prepare myself and clean myself up, then God will accept me, whereas the gospel tells us the exact opposite. The gospel says you cannot clean yourself up enough for a holy God. He accepts you as you are, and his Holy Spirit does the work of changing that you're incapable of doing right? And so, but we have this kind of extreme legalist mentality that creeps in. I just remember being um, a kid growing up in church and kind of legalistic churches that I grew up in where it just felt impossible. I just felt like it was rule after rule after rule after rule. And not a lot of talk about the love of Christ and the gospel and everything, but a lot of talk about what I shouldn't be doing. And it was just, it was at times overwhelming. It felt like this this huge obstacle course that I had no chance of of getting through. We um, I'll share the story with you. We have uh, we're in the process. Our family is in the process of adopting a, a little uh, eight year old girl named Jordan. And uh, in fact, we have an adoption date, December seventh. Uh, it'll be official. She'll be a, a, a Myers. And so we're really excited about that. But you know, when, when we started that process of, of having her in our home as a as a foster uh, kid, we uh, we had to go through the classes, and we learned so much in those classes, and one of the things that we learned that actually absolutely was true that we found out later is that there can be a lot of anxiety of a kid going into a new family that's already established and and you know trying to figure out their way in that new family and I remember uh, one time, um, just a few months after Jordan had moved in she she kind of she has this really beautiful way of very clearly articulating her feelings in, in a very grown-up way, actually. It's very shocking at times how she'll come to us and, and really put into words the things that she's feeling. And uh, she, she was telling us, she said, um, she said, I just feel like everybody else knows how to live in this family. Everybody else knows all the rules, and I don't know the rules. And, I, and, and she was just feeling overwhelmed overwhelmed that um, everybody else was getting it and she was just in the process of trying to figure it out, right? So because, you know, our other kids, they've been with us since birth, and so our expectations and what, you know, the things that are taboo or not taboo or, you know, whatever are, are kind of built into them. It's just, it's just part of their identity as, as a part of our family. And for her coming in, there would be times we would assume she would know something that she did not know you know and so she really clearly articulated that and how many of you could say the same thing when you had your first experience with church where you're looking around going i want to be a part of this church family but i feel like everybody else knows what's going on and i'm still trying to just figure it out right just trying to figure it out it seems like everybody else has got this locked down they know what to do like the the, the scripture just pops to their head when, when any trouble comes up or, or whatever. And I'm just trying to figure it out. And what we do as remember that old show, uh, that, that show Wipeout, the obstacle course show? Like, did anybody ever make it completely through that without getting punched or dipped up, dunked in the water? Or no, everybody's going to get knocked around sometime, and it's it's impossible to get through unscathed, you know. And we do the same thing oftentimes if we're not careful, or or people with that extreme mentality, we do the same thing where we create this obstacle course to get to Jesus, and it's like I can't do it. It's I'm eventually going to get punched by a thing or swiped by some swinging arm or I'm going to bounce off the big balls or whatever. Something's going to happen. I'm going to get wiped out in this. In this trying, me trying to get to Jesus because it's an impossible task because we have created obstacle after obstacle after obstacle to clean people up so they're presentable to a holy God. And, our, and the Bible tells us it's, that's cart before horse thinking. It's cart before horse thinking. We don't clean ourselves up to get to God. We submit ourselves to God and he does the life change that we're incapable of doing. He does the life change. And so that's what we, that's what we do. But we need... So you've got, you've got that extreme. You've got the, the, the legalist extreme. And then on the other extreme, you have the kind of, uh, hey, Jesus loves you and anything goes. You don't have to change your life ever or at all. You don't have to, um, you know, you don't have to try to live like uh, the Bible says we should live. You just, we just kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater and anything goes, right? And so what what tends to take place is you have churches who either lean towards one side or the other. Like like they either lean towards legalism. Maybe they're not full-on legalists, but they lean in that direction. Or they have churches that lean towards just anything goes and never, you know, no responsibility, no anything. And then hopefully there's those of us somewhere in the middle that go, actually, the Bible says both things are true. The Bible says this is a beautiful free gift of grace that God gives you. And he has a plan for life change for you. That he will start and finish in you. Both of those things can have some truth. And we, while we recognize the false teaching that can come from either side, the one side that, that, that shoots towards legalism, legalism, the other side that shoots toward what Peter called sensualism, just following after whatever desire you want to follow after, the truth is actually kind of down the middle of this one. Both of those things can be true, and both of those things can be toxic. Both of those things can be toxic. And so how do we navigate that? Isaiah, in his, chap- in his uh, book, um, Isaiah the prophet, not my son, um, <laughs> Isaiah says, uh, he-, he has this beautiful little phrase in uh, chapter 21. It's actually the title of uh, the second book from uh, Harper Lee that came out a couple years ago, uh, the, the follow-up to um, her uh, um, To Kill a Mockingbird, thank you. Um, Isaiah says this, 21, Isaiah twenty-one six. he says, For thus the Lord said to me, Go, set a watchman. Let him announce what he sees. Isaiah's guidance is this, there are things out there that we need to watch out for. Go set a watchman so that they can come back to us and tell us what they see. And the church is in need and always has been in need of people who God has gifted with the ability to discern good from evil, to be able to discern the times that we live in, who can be a watchman or a watchwoman for the rest of us and and report back to us what they see. People who are guided by the Holy Spirit, guided by the Word of God, that are not just going off of their own inclinations, but are, are following something, someone bigger. Than themselves and can help us stay on track. And so my first point is this is that a healthy church seeks to redeem the culture, not be absorbed by it. A healthy church seeks to redeem this culture, not just simply be absorbed by it completely. And what I mean by redeeming the culture is that there's all kinds of things that we can look at, look to our culture about and go, oh, that's really unhealthy. I mean, you take, for instance, your, you know, your, your your mobile devices and your phones and things like that. You can look at that and go, oh my gosh, they're full of porn and they're full of, you know, swiping left and right. And they're full of, you know, all kinds of weird things that can be really unhealthy. And, and I mean, there's apps to help you cheat on your spouse and there's apps to do this and there's Facebook. Don't even get me started on Facebook. And there's, you know, all this kind of stuff. And and you can look at how the addiction to those devices and all the things that you can point to and go, just, just, just kind of, again, throw the baby out with the bathwater and go, no, 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 stay away, stay away, stay away. But I think a, a more beautiful thing to do is to kind of look at this and go, how can I redeem this for the gospel? How can I redeem this for Christ? What can I do to, to take, the, in, in other words, how can I take what's here and leverage it for the kingdom? I love that stuff. That stuff gets me excited so much. I, you guys don't know, maybe don't know this about me, But every time there's one of those Apple events where they announce all their new products and all their new software and everything, I am glued to it, glued to it. And I view it as part of my pastoral responsibility because it's not just that I love Apple products or that sort of thing. It's that I'm looking at that going, how can our church redeem that new technology to advance the gospel in our community and in our kingdom? I love that stuff. And so we look around at the culture around us and we look to redeem the culture. In other words, take something that is, is damned, take something that is, uh, that is, is lost in, in a pit, and rather than getting in the pit with it and wallowing and letting it suck us down, reaching into that pit and lifting it up and, and, and offering something higher, a higher purpose for that. And so we need to redeem the culture, not just simply be absorbed by it. And that could be the culture outside of these walls, and it could be the culture inside these walls. Sometimes churches themselves have an unhealthy culture that can drag people down. And we need watchmen and watchwomen who can discern the times and discern what's going on and be led by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to point us in the right direction. Some of you are really wonderful at this, really wonderful. Like you just have a knack, like, like you just have more sensitive antenna than the rest of us. And, and, and like your spidey senses go off way quicker than the rest of us. And, I, and I, some of you are so beautiful in the way that this happens. Like you just, you're so plugged into the word. You're so plugged into just following the Holy Spirit that when something comes up that's contrary to it, it just immediately hits you and it's, 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 some of you regularly will come to me and go, I don't know if you saw this or, or heard what this person said, but man, that's, that's really off track. Sometimes you'll come to me and go, I know what you meant to say, <laughs> but this is what you actually said, and I'm not sure you meant to say it that way. And so, which it's, it's me, it's, I'm Jeff Myers, and that happens, right? And so, I mean, you preach for an hour every single week, all for, you know, for 11 years, and and get a perfect track record. So sometimes this stuff just, just comes up. And, uh, but I really appreciate, because there have been times that some of you have come to me going, I, don't, I know what you were trying to do there, but I don't think it came out the way you meant it to come out. And, and I look back and go, oh, wow, I did not intend that. And I can see how it could be perceived that way. And, I'll, and I, yeah, thank you. I will correct that. You know, So sometimes, I, sometimes that stuff happens, even with me. There are some of you who are just so gifted in that, and we all need, I think, to become a little more gifted in it, and that happens when you are close to the Word of God and when you're close to the Holy Spirit. You can begin to discern the times and discern circumstances, and it helps us stay a healthy church, which is the goal. That's my only goal. My only goal for living hope has ever been that we be a healthy church. I don't care how big we grow. Now, I think healthy churches tend to grow because healthy things grow. But if my goal is not to grow a giant church. My, grow, my goal is to grow a healthy church and let God do with that whatever he will. But I want a church where we can bring our kids and not feel like we have to explain away everything that was said. I want a church where, where you can come and experience a beautiful uh, moment of worship and a beautiful moment of teaching and a beautiful and and be uh, received with open arms and be sent back out into community to love and give in really sacrificial ways. I want a church that keeps the main thing the main thing and doesn't get bogged down in the legalistic minutia or 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 get bogged down in things that are uh, you know outside of our area of calling. You know whatever that might look like that we just and 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 God love you all. You've always been, since I, since I've been here, since my, my experience with you, you've always been a church that tends to keep the main thing, the main thing. Awesome. I don't know if you I don't know if you realize how blessed you are to be a part of something like that. And so a healthy church, one of the ways that it stays healthy is it does this. Now, look what he carries on, carries on and says here in verse four. He says. Now, he's going to give like examples of what he was just talking about, because what he ended... Let me go back there. Go back to that, that verse uh, 3, where it says, he says, um, their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. And what he's doing here is he's referencing that God has been punishing false teachers like this, and people who would try to abuse his children and lead his children astray. He has been exacting justice on them since... Time began, and, and Peter is saying he'll continue to do the same thing. And now in verse 4, he says, he gives examples. He says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed, to, committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. So here he's, he's pulling up an example from the prophecy of Isaiah, where Isaiah explains to us the, how there was a rebellion in heaven, and, and uh, I believe he says, a third of the angels. We're trying to rebel against God. God cast them out. So now we have these spiritual forces alive and well around us of, of, that, are, that side with God and that are anti-God, that are our enemies, uh, uh, Satan, if you, if you please. And so we have, we have that that exists. And, God, and so Peter says, if, if God did not hold back from exacting justice and casting out even his own created beings who served him in heaven, if that didn't happen... To be continued, he says, If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. He goes back to Genesis and you know, where all the wickedness that was happening in the world and God judges that, and there's this beautiful story of salvation and justice. He's like, If he didn't hold back in that time, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. If, you know, again, another Genesis story, these twin cities that were super, super wicked and just abusive in their power and in their wealth and everything else. And he says, he says, if he didn't hold back from them from, from, from exacting justice there, and then on verse 7, and if he rescued righteous Lot who was in those cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, if he rescued righteous Lot, "...greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as that righteous man lived among them, that, them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard." He said, if he would save Lot from all of that justice and punishment and all, all that kind of stuff, if he would save a righteous man from that, then, here's the then, "...then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials, and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment." and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. It's like the same God who has been a just God, sticking up for his children who are being abused by people in power, by people who are just plain evil, by people who would uh, abuse them and take advantage of them and all this kind of stuff. They're the same God who has been meeting out justice on behalf of his children, is the same God that we serve today and that justice still comes to play and there's a day of justice that's coming ahead of us where you might be sitting back now going, why, like it's really easy for us to look into this world and go, man, it's an evil world. Where's God in all this? Where is God in all this? Why is there so much abuse? Why is there so many rich people taking advantage of poor people? Why is there so many uh, people of power and political position that, that uh, you know, in countries all over the world that only think about themselves and just let their people live in squander and, 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 and um, you know, poverty? Why is there, you know, on and on and on, the powers of this world that keep the people of this, God's people down? It's like you might look at that and go, Why, where is God in all this? And Peter's Guidance to these churches is the same God that was doing all this stuff back in the Old Testament, is the same God that we serve today. And a day of justice is coming. And those people who would come into a body of believers, of God's children, and try to steer them in a wrong way, try to lead them away from God, destroy His family, there's a day of justice you can guarantee coming for people who would do that a day of justice. It's really easy for us to kind of look back at, I hear this all the time. It's like, I don't really like the God of the Old Testament. The God of the Old Testament is just all about death and destruction and raining down fire and punishment, all that kind of stuff. So they're like, I, I like the New Testament God. And what we have to come to grips with is New Testament God is, is Old Testament God. Just, he is still a God of justice. And, it's not, and And we have to kind of get out of our head this idea of God just arbitrarily punishing, you know, people for no decent reason, that what you have is a heavenly father who loves and protects his children and exacts justice on those who would do them harm. Because that's what a good father does. That's what a good father does. And a day of justice is still coming. It's still coming. And so the big point on this is just this, that God is here and he's in control. He's here. He's not some God of ancient times long ago that does not interact with us anymore. He is here. He is present and he is still in control and we can trust him. We can trust him. Now living in this world where of extremes and extreme ideologies, and extreme political positions and things like that. It's so easy to get caught up in all of that fear talk and all of that uh, um, rhetoric and buy into one side or the other and just start living in fear. You're either living in fear of the guy who's in power or you're living in fear of the person who wants to be in power. And we just we just let the, some of some of you. I've talked to many of you about this. Some of you let that almost cripple you. The anxiety you feel about the times that we live, live in is almost crippling to you. And Peter reminds us none of that matters. We serve a God who is in control. He's in control. Those people in, people in power come and people in power go. But God is, was, is, and always will be in control. And we can trust him. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live in fear. We can live as watchmen, and we need watchmen and watchwomen. We can live as people who are wise in uncertain times, but we don't have to be dictated by fear. You want to know the truth about the times that we live in? Both CNN and Fox News are false preachers. They are. Then they're just trying to get you fear one direction or the other, and the path forward is not in either of those extremes. It's something that makes more sense. It's love and cooperation. It's locking arms with people that are your brothers and sisters, it, all that stuff. And we got to be careful not to let false teachers into our church on a spiritual level that would pull us towards one extreme or the other. This is how culture started. Culture started this way. You, you, you build up people's fears to where they feel like they have no choice but to follow you. And that's how cults are started. We had a guy here uh, a few years ago that had started attending church that came out of a, a, a really nasty cult uh, from a few decades ago. Uh, so nasty that they, they took his wife and kids from them and moved them to South America. Uh, it was really destructive. But based based in Scripture. He could quote Scripture to me like nobody's business. I mean, he had it practically memorized. And, but they took the words of the Lord and twisted it in really sick and unhealthy ways to justify their own means. But he had this cult-following mentality. And I remember sitting and talking to him and going, you know, what we need to do, I said, you don't, <laughs> you've been taught a version of." the truth that is just simply not true. You've been spoon-fed what to believe and you've believed it. I would love to sit down with you and let's just start reading scripture and see what scripture actually says. And his response to me was, yes, you tell me what to believe, I'll believe anything you tell me. And I said, no, (laughs) that's not what this is about. That's not, don't believe it just because I said it. I want to teach you how to be a watchman. I want to teach you how to get in there and discern, right? And we all have to, I think, and while I don't understand that mentality, I think all of us have to be aware and cautious and ask ourselves, is there some of that mentality in me that I need to get rid of? Some of that that level of blind followership comes very natural to some of you. And what I'm telling you today is that we are not asking for blind followership. Christ doesn't ask for blind followership. Christ says, follow me, but he doesn't say disengage your brain. And we need to be a people who will follow him and allow the Holy Spirit to teach us how to discern the times that we live in, to discern the circumstances that we go through and know through the word of God and through the leadership of the Holy Spirit, how to navigate the times that we're in. And that's how we avoid false teaching. We, we stay on our guard. We don't live in fear, but it's okay to stay on guard. It's okay to stay on guard. And the beautiful thing is that God gives us the Holy Spirit to help us through this. He doesn't just say, figure it out. He guides us, he guides us. And the way to do that, the way to stay plugged into that is to do just that, stay plugged in to what the Holy Spirit is doing and leading. Stay plugged into the Word of God. Stay plugged into people who you've grown to, to love and trust and you know love and, and, and have your best interest at heart and, and, and are also following Christ that can lead you to a path that is good and that's wise. We all need to surround ourselves with all of that. And that will hopefully keep us on track. We've got a big mission here. And we can't, and just as Peter looking at these churches that were just getting started, just starting to get off the ground, just starting to begin to influence the kingdoms of the world that they were living in, he was like, We cannot see this movement lost because of false teachers. Stay on guard. God, God's in control, and He'll take care of it, he'll, he'll do the justice part. You guys just stay focused on Christ and stay focused on His gospel. Begin to walk in love. Engage your communities in love, not by building silos up around your churches to protect yourself from the outside world. That's not how we do this. We can't just put a Christian label on everything and protect ourselves from the world that we live in. It does not work. It makes us unhealthy. It makes us dysfunctional. That, that is a horrible plan. And churches do it all the time. It's not enough. You can't go, just go be part of a gym. You got to be part of Lord's gym right? You can't, you can't just, I mean, you can put a Christian label on every little thing in your life just because I'm trying to protect me and my kids. I'm trying to, I'm trying to build this side. No, you don't do that. Just follow the Holy Spirit. Follow the Word of God. Engage this culture for the gospel. Engage them. Influence them. Redeem them. Lift them up out of the pits that they're in. Go do the work that you've, called, that you've been called to do. It's scary. It's not easy. It's messy. It's messy. It, there's nothing easy about the work of God. He is calling. I used to say this to, I, I was a youth pastor in the, in the East Bay at one point, and, and um, um, I started, we were really reaching out into the community, pulling in kids that you know, weren't from church families and that sort of thing, and they were really rough. And um, I had parents, church kid families, you know, parents start coming to me and saying, I don't know if I can send my kid to youth group anymore because you know just the, the the crowd is pretty rough. And I said I said well, I said I hope you reconsider that. I said but you need to know my goal is to reach the kids. You're trying to keep your kids away from. And and when we begin to do that kind of living, whether it's with kids or with adults or whoever, when we begin to risk our comfort and risk our what feels safe to us. And step into people's life to act, not just to offer a pat on the back, but to actually help them out of the pits that they're in. It's messy. It's difficult. It's long-term. It's not an easy, quick fix. But that's the work that Christ calls us to do, and it's a beautiful, beautiful, fulfilling thing when we get to do it. Really fulfilling. It makes it feel like a mission. Like, if you think your mission is just coming here every week and sitting where you're sitting right now, what a pathetic mission. What a, who wants to get behind that? Christ has a mission for you. It's going to stretch you, it's going to, but it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be beautiful. So we walk forward in love, not in fear, not circling the wagons and keeping ourselves protected from everything around us. No, we walk forward in love, and we walk in the Holy Spirit, and we trust him to guide us, and we trust him to create the avenues of redemption that we hope to bring to people too. We trust him in that. That's what this is all about. That's what this is all about. So let's pray. Let's pray this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, I want to really focus on the last phrase of that prayer that you taught us to pray, that when we ask you to deliver us from evil, we are very aware that we are surrounded by evil. We live in an evil world. And at times it overwhelms us and we're not sure what to even do with it all or how to respond. But my prayer is that you deliver us from evil, that you deliver us from the evil that we might fall into ourselves, that you deliver us from the evil intentions of people who want to come in and destroy us spiritually or destroy your, your, your body, your church, um, that you would deliver us from that, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that we could be the watchmen and watchwomen that you've called us to be, and we can discern the times that we live in, not just for the sake of keeping ourselves safe, safe, but discern the times that we live in so that we can reach into these times and redeem those people that are lost and far from you. Introduce them to the one that can redeem them. Introduce them to the one that can change their lives. Introduce them to the one that has a plan for them. So God, use us in that. Use us in that. God, save us from fear. Save us from fear mongers. Help us to see clearly through those tactics and and just see you and aim at you and go where you're leading us. We love you. We thank you for the lives that you've called us to. Forgive us when we try to make them safe. Forgive us if we are too quick to follow every voice that comes our way. God, I pray the sound of your Holy Spirit and of your scripture would ring so loudly in our ears that it would keep us on track and that it would preserve us and preserve your church and keep us on the mission that you've called us to. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.